Hello and welcome to the show. I hope you're all doing well. I'm Gary and this is episode four of Live Like You Love It, the podcast that celebrates the importance and impact of live music, taking you on stage, in the crowd and behind the scenes through conversations with artists, fans and those in the industry that make it happen. Before I get into the intro, I just want to say a massive thank you to everyone that's listened to the show so far. The feedback on the first three episodes has been amazing and I am truly grateful, I really am. If this is your first time listening, then welcome of course. If you do like what you hear, head back and listen to the first three episodes because I think you'll enjoy them as well. My guest today is the charismatic Andrew Cushion. We jumped on a video call in late January 2021 and we talked about growing up in the northeast of England, having incredible success after only playing a handful of gigs how the lack of gigs impacts a new artist who is honing his craft, and of course, what it's like to work with Noel Gallagher on his latest single, Where's My Family Gone? Andrew definitely has a certain maturity for such a young lad, which can be heard in his release singles, It's Gonna Get Better, Waiting in the Rain, and the aforementioned Where's My Family Gone? All of which are packed with emotional lyrics and melody. Stick around until the end for an exclusive acoustic performance of Where's My Family Gone, recorded for us at Live Like You Love It. We chat about all of these experiences and more and end the show as we always do with a conversation around why live music is so important to Andrew. Thanks to the team at Example House for providing the studio to record this episode. Example House is a co-working space for talent in the hospitality and creative industries located in the heart of Sydney. Head over to livelikeyouloveitpod.com to subscribe on all your favorite podcasting platforms and follow us on the socials, where you will get extra content, sneak previews, and be the first to know about new episodes. All right, let's get into this. This is the fantastic Andrew Cushion. Let's do it. Andrew Cushion, thank you so much for joining me, mate. How are you? I'm fine, mate. How are you? Yeah, good. I'm in Sydney. You're in Newcastle. I hope I haven't got you up too early. Uh, it's probably the earliest I've been up in the lockdown, like, but it, it's not, it's not early. It's, it's, it's quite a reasonable time. <laughs> and mate, you're obviously from Newcastle with that accent. How do you get on in the interviews? I mean, well, it's, it's a funny and like, cause I've, I've got to tone it down quite a bit when I do stuff like this. Cause otherwise the people who are sort of interviewing us haven't got a clue what I'm saying, but I'm normally coping all right with it, to be honest. I, I, I just, I, I tone down the old P's and Q's and just make sure that the slang's not too too much. But if, if if anything needs translating, then you know, just ask us to repeat myself and I'll put on me 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 southern accent and we'll and we'll try and speak formally. <laughs> what was it like growing up there as a kid? So Newcastle's a beautiful city, man. It's fuck it's 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 huge as well. Do you know what I mean? There's so much going on in Newcastle. I think it um it gets a little bit overshone because it's in the northeast and stuff. And it's seen as a you know a little bit rough and ready or whatever, but you know it's 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 a lovely place, man. Like if 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 anyone from Sydney or Australia are looking for somewhere to go on holiday, man, it, I tell you what, it, that, that, there's there's some nice places in Newcastle. In terms of where I grew up, I, I I grew up on a little council estate. I don't know if that's what you'd call them in Australia. I imagine that it'd be similar to what you'd call them in America. They're called sort of projects and stuff. But yeah, I grew, I grew up on a little council estate in the east end of Newcastle. Nice. I had a good social life with my friends because of that. Do you know what I mean? I think anybody that that grows up on a on a council estate or in projects or what sort, whatever you want to call them, I think uh, you spend 90 percent of your time outside with your mates, don't you? Do you know what I mean? Pinching shopping trolleys and all that kind of sort of carry on. So I was fortunate enough that I was one of the 
because obviously when I was growing up as well, you know, it was like I was born in 99. So by the time I started playing out, it was like when sort of technology was kind of starting to, you know, there was more and more people wanting to stay in the house. Sort of nowadays, nobody wants to leave. Do you know what I mean? If you're a eight, nine-year-old kid now, you just want to sit in the house playing fucking Fortnite or whatever. Do you know what I mean? So I, I, I was one of the, I was part of the dying breed of kids that, you know, went out and played football and came in at stupid o'clock at night with covered in grass stains and all that kind of stuff. So I loved it, man. I loved it. It, it, it shaped us into the kind of person that I am now. Um, you know, it was great. It was great. I think if I, if I had stayed there, though, I, I wouldn't be sort of playing the guitar now. Do you know what I mean? I was um, the fact that we moved away from our council estate where we're living now, which is quite a quiet area, that element of you know boredom going from playing on the streets with your mates to being stuck in the house uh that that that's what drove us to playing the guitar so you could argue that i've had the best of both worlds every cloud is a silver lining right yeah that's it when you're a kid what sort of tunes were being played in the house i love asking this question because for me i always look back and it's so nostalgic thinking about certain songs that my folks were playing what was being being played but what about yourself because obviously i'm a little bit older than you so you're probably listening to the music i was listening to yeah funny enough man i've got really old fucking music taste so i've probably listened i've probably listened to the stuff that you listen to, to be honest yeah i was brought up on paul weller I was brought up on Oasis, obviously. I, as you know, it's quite a typical thing to say now. But I was brought up on Oasis. I was brought up on Paul. I was on, on Paul Weller. I was brought up on um, what else was blasting in our house? There was always quite a bit of the Rolling Stones playing. You know, Ocean Colour Scene, the Lars. My dad, me, dad loved the Lars or the Lars, whatever you want to call them. You know, so it was, it was, it was quite an older, an older generation of music. Do you know what I mean? But it was still you know, late 80s, early 90s sort of stuff that I was listening to. As I've got older, the music taste has been a bit more broadened, do you know what I mean? So now I, I, I love people like Bob Dylan and Donovan and Neil Young and Don McLean and you know, all them kind of acts from years ago, do you know what I mean? And then I even love like like the blues stuff, do you know what I mean? Like a massive uh, Robert Johnson fan, do you know what I mean? The the old uh, guitarist from, I think it was the 30s, the 20s. So, so I've, I've, got a, I've got quite a broad music taste, do you know what I mean? I, yeah, I'd, I'd say... Out of everything that we listened to in the house, I think Paul Weller probably caught my eye the most. Just the tone of his voice, man. The tone of his voice is fucking amazing. And yeah, and I, th- I think I think I owe that to my dad, actually. I think I owe that to my dad. Because I mean, I think, particularly if you're a sort of musician, do you know what I mean? You're just going to, especially in your early years of making music, you're just going to try and replicate what your favourite artists were doing. Do you know what I mean? So I, all the artists that I listened to growing up were associated with guitars and guitar music. So then... You know, lo and behold, the music that I'm making is sort of guitar music. Do you know what I mean? If- oh, it sounds like it. And it's interesting with the folks playing that type of music because that generation when Oasis and that were coming out, it made it, you know, achievable to go and pick up a guitar and play those same chords that Noel was playing and, you know, those other bands around them as well. So no surprise that you've sort of picked that up and I've got that sound. And you mentioned Weller there as well. I can hear that sort of early Weller stuff in, in your singing and also your guitar playing as well. Yeah, thanks very much, man. It's, um, yeah, it's just, it's just whatever you listen to as a kid, you tend to replicate is is an adult. Do you know what I mean? I'm sure if you were to make music or you might make music, I don't know, but I'm sure whatever kind of music you'd you'd make would be influenced by the artists that you've listened to. Do you know what I mean? It just it just is what it is, man. I th- I, th- I think that's why that kind of music will never die. Do you know what I mean? Because it's like the artists inspire the next generation. Do you know what I mean? It's like cutting out the middleman. Do you know what I mean? It's like you 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 look at who Oasis what inspired by. So you look at the Beatles, the Sex Pistols, the Rolling Stones, 
So really, my inspiration actually comes from the Rolling Stones, the Sex Pistols and the Beatles, do you know what I mean? Because I'm just replicating what I've heard and they're replicating what they've heard, do you know what I mean? The Beatles will be, you know, further down the line again. Obviously, you talked a lot there about the type of music. So when did you first pick up the guitar? I first picked up the guitar when I was 16, man, yeah. Yeah, 16. I mean, I'm 21 now. I'm starting to get to that age now. Do you know where you you feel less likely or you feel less... I don't know what the right word is here. Do, do you know when you're having a conversation with people and you start to get to that point where you don't want to reveal your age, particularly when I'm talking to fans, because a lot of my fans are, you know, 18, 19. And, you know, and then I've, I'm starting to get a little bit ashamed of that. I'm, I'm, I'm starting to get older. But I mean, 21 still young. Yeah, what was the question again? <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> it was about picking up the guitar, but hold on, I'm going to pull you up, mate. 21 is young, trust me. Yeah, yeah, that, uh, yeah, that's it, that's it. But, um, but no, mate, it's because, like, I don't feel 21 because the whole of last year was a waste. Do you know what I mean? So I picked up the guitar when I was 16. Didn't do my first gig till I was 18. Do you know what I mean? So I was, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a late bloomer when it comes to gigs and stuff. I don't, I, I think, I've, I think you'll be lucky in the three years that I've done gigs. I've, if I've played 50 gigs, I think you'll be lucky if I've hit 50. Part of that is because we we lost the whole of 2020. Do you know what I mean? So I think that's why I feel a little bit younger than what I actually am because I've, I've got a year, I should have a year of gig sort of backlogged, but unfortunately I haven't. It's a life for living it, COVID. Yeah, exactly, mate. I'm going to get onto all the gigs as well. I want to kind of timeline those amazing two years or th- three years it's been now that you're 21. Did you realise you had a voice straight away or was that just something that sort of came about after when you were just messing around on the guitar? So my mum was a singer. My mum used to do like puzzle clubs. My mum was actually, she was fucking, <laughs> she hates bringing this up because she was only a teenager herself. She'd done the backing vocals for her, Cheryl Cole in Cheryl's really early days, do you know what I mean? Because Cheryl used to live, so in the council state where I lived, in Langhorne Close, Cheryl lived, it was six doors down from us. And, and, I, and I mean, my mum still lives there, do you know what I mean? So my family and her family know each other. My mum was, you know, friends with her and friends with her mum or whatever. And she got the opportunity to do her do back and vocals for Cheryl. So my mum always had a voice, do you know what I mean? To an extent, she gave it up now for, as I see a life of smoking. That's what I say, she's given us a single <laughs> I'd never be shy if it was somebody's birthday or if it was like a retirement do or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Your, your, your family parties. I'd never be shy after a couple of pints. And this was even at, you know, 14, 15. I'd never be shy to get on the karaoke. Do you know what I mean? After I'd had a couple of drinks. And I always knew I could sing a note fairly well, but I never really pushed it. Do you know what I mean? I was, I was so infatuated with playing football that, you know, singing was just, I've got a decent voice. It doesn't really matter. Do you know what I mean? When I picked up the guitar and I started getting better at the guitar and then the voice was kind of suiting the songs that I was playing and suiting the songs that I was writing, that's when I kind of had to sit back a little bit and think, you know what, I could actually be onto a winner here. And obviously, fortunately, I've been given the opportunity where I can showcase both the guitar playing, the songs and the voice. My voice has definitely got better as I've as I've improved as a guitar player and a songwriter, do you know what I mean? Because I think when you're writing your own stuff, do you know what I mean? Then you can, t- you, you, you can tend to... Um... So for instance, if I'm... If I'm playing a gig and I've been out the night before, and this isn't even hypothetical, this because this happens normally every fucking gig. So if I've if I've finished the gig and I've 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 went to a party or whatever after and got in at God knows what time and I've I'm, I'm ill for the day after, do you know what I mean? Like hanging out my arse for the next gig. What you can do then is you can just tune the guitar down a, a, a step, do you know what I mean? Or if if you if you're playing with a sort of capo on, you can just put the capo down a fret. So you can always cheat your voice, sort of thing. Do you know what I mean? And then vice versa, if I'm feeling good before a gig and I think I can really push my voice and, you know, hit 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 higher notes and stuff, then I can, you know, 
sort of do the opposite. I think when you're playing covers and stuff, do you know what I mean? You tend to play and you tend to sing in the key of of of, of that artist. Do you know what I mean? So since I've became a, a, a musician, if you want to call it that, in a in a songwriter, I've been able to push my voice and I've been able to challenge myself in studios by you know singing in different keys and all that kind of stuff. So my voice has definitely got better as the guitar playing and stuffs improved as well do you know what i mean oh mate absolutely so you've had a bit of a, a journey over the past well i'm going to say three years for you because you mentioned that first gig at 18 and i want to i want to go through how you've got to where you are because it's absolutely incredible when you sit down and like look what's happened in that short period of time and you mentioned about the 50 gigs as well mate bands go up and down the country touring for years and years and years sleeping in the back of a van and you've had some incredible luck and i say luck but I mean, you've got the tunes behind you that back it. So that's the only reason you are where we are. So you wouldn't have that if the tunes weren't as good as what they are. So the first gig was at 18. Do you remember where that was? Yeah, man, it was at, it, it, it wasn't even in Newcastle. It was in, uh, it was in Gated. So it was in, it was, it was just out of the water, as, as us Geordies will say. It was just out of the water, but it was really just over the water. So it was just over the water. It was, a, it, it was at a bar called the, uh, the Station East. Tiny, tiny little bar. I think it fitted about, 25 people in 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 how the gig came about was my mom's a bank manager in this band that i supported it'll forever be known as the band of bank managers now because of this story so basically that that, that was a band made up of a couple of colleagues at my mom's work right like looking classes like something out the office <laughs> <laughs> so so they've got this band and they're playing this gig and they're looking for a support act and my mama well can my my kid not do it can can my andrew not 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 do the gig and I, and, I, and the turn up my mum well so is he any good and my mum came in from work and she went right what well, I, I need you to sit and record yourself on your phone and send it to them to see if you, you're a decent singer and I remember recording the dying of the light on my phone by by Noel I, I, I remember singing the dying of the light and I sent it and I got the gig I think I played six songs that was about 15 people there my family and friends were about 11 of them and I just fell in love with it man it wasn't even it, it wasn't even a great gig it was a bang average gig, but it was just, it was great. Um, I think that's when I fell in love with performing because I'm, you know, I like doing things that will make you stand out from the crowd. Do you know what I mean? So everything I've ever done in my life has been not necessarily to be the best, but to be remembered. Do you know what I mean? So for me to be stood on a stage, you know, by myself and be the centre of attention for that 35 minutes was just amazing, man. Uh, and I think that's when I fell in love with her, actually. Yeah, but it was a, it was it was it was a funny gig. But that band will forever be known as now the the band of bank managers. <laughs> <laughs> was it just friends and family gigs and pubs and stuff before you ended up going on support with Bang Bang Romeo? If anybody knows me personally, they'll know that I'm a bit of like a little old man. Do you know what I mean? Like I play darts and stuff, man. So like, but I don't mean like I play darts in the house. Anyone can play darts in the house, but I play darts competitively in leagues, right? <laughs> so I, I was playing darts like four nights a week. And then I was still playing football on this on a Saturday morning, and you know, and I was going out and like sort of drinking with my pals during the week, and it was like, and I was associating myself with like social clubs, man. It's like everywhere I went was like Phoenix Nights. It was fucking brilliant. <laughs> and, uh, and I got myself into like a sort of situation where I was doing things like Bank Holiday Monday gigs and Boxing Day gigs and New Year's Day gigs and. Patrick Day's gigs or whatever, do you know what I mean? Any kind of occasion, I'd do a set for them. Uh, but I'd just be doing them at the social clubs that I played art in, do you know what I mean? So there was no nerves. Ev- ev- everyone sort of knew us. And I'd done that until I was until I was 19. So I'd signed with my manager after my second gig. Wow. So this just puts into you know, perspective how quick everything happened. I know you were saying before there's bands and that, that sleeping their vans and stuff and all that kind of stuff. I'm, I'm so fortunate that I haven't really had to do that yet. 
I mean, it might all go drastically downhill. My second ever gig was was in Newcastle, and the lad who now um, sort of manages is Lee. I was I was friends with him for for quite a little while. You know, we had a connection through football, and, and he came to the gig just as a spectator, man. And he recorded a couple of my songs, and I performed them live. Three weeks later, after he told us that, you know, he had connections with. Noel Gallagher and Gordon Smart, who was at Radio X at the time, and you know he knew people from different labels and all that kind of stuff. You know, three weeks later, I signed a five-year contract with him, and then I was still doing these sort of Boxing Day gigs and St Patrick's Day gigs. And then when I hit nineteen, it kind of changed a bit, and we'd done a gig with a uh, promoting company called uh, This Feeling. So we'd done a gig in Leeds. It was probably my dozenth gig, so it was probably about my twelfth gig. Um, it was my first ever gig that I played my own songs at, like a full set of my own songs. Normally, I'd do whatever ten songs and eight of them would be covers and then I think it was about three weeks after that we went on it we, we, we got a phone call that we had a full UK tour and I was kind of and you're right what you're saying you know it has it has happened so quick to the point where I remember sitting back and thinking right I'm just a fucking chancer here I'm, I'm, I'm just a fucking chancer that wrote a couple of songs and I'm now going to play in Bristol on a fucking Thursday night to 450 people do you know what I mean it was it, it was kind of that fucking wow man I'm going on tour I'm 19 I played 13 gigs and I'm going on tour and I suppose when I came back off that tour you know it was it was it was in October and we'd done I think we'd done about 20 dates and when I came back man it was like right this is what I want to do for the rest of my life do you know what I mean in between doing the tour and doing the gigs we also signed a record deal and we also got you know multiple emails from from Nolan stuff, but it wasn't until I'd done them gigs that I thought, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. And I'm fortunate enough now that I'm in a position where I can make that happen. Do you know what I mean? Nothing set in stone. I might be bank manager myself in a couple of weeks. Join that band. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I couldn't be, uh, I'd probably do BVs or something for them. But, um, <laughs> but I, yeah, I'm, I'm in a position now where, where I can potentially make that happen, man. So it's just a dream. But you're right what you're saying. It has happened incredibly quickly. You know, that's a blessing and a curse. It's a blessing in the sense that, you know, I haven't had to do the whole up and down England in a little splitter van, you know, sleeping on my mate's knee. Do you know what I mean? I haven't really had to do that. But then it's a curse in the sense of, you know, I haven't had time to sit and reflect on it. Do you know what I mean? I've never had a music lesson in my life. You know, so every every gig that I've done, you know, I'm still improving. So there'll always be something that's not 100% of me gigs. But it's just, it's just crazy, man. It's crazy. It's crazy doing stuff like this. Do you know what I mean? I've still got to sit back and think I'm talking to someone from Sydney who loves my music. It still hits you, man. It's a funny thing. Hey, it's good. It's great. I've listened to you on a podcast where you talk about how the, the gigs, that you've only done 50 gigs. You were honing your craft. And with every gig, you were sort of getting better and learning and stuff like that as well. So on tour with Bang Bang Romeo, did that feel like a bit different? Did you learn a great deal with those guys? Yeah, man. Yeah. And I mean... And they're a top band as well. Do you know what I mean? Musically, you know the, the the other the other support act and the headline act don't make the music that I'd listen to. Do you know what I mean? But in terms of performers, you know, what I mean, I was watching both of those, particularly in the early gigs, and thinking, wow, you know, they've got a polished sound. They they fucking he actually knows how to play the guitar. Do you know what I mean? He's not he's he's not sort of blagging it. I mean, the 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 early gigs. I put it this way, mate. Every gig on that tour, I never brought a tuning pedal with us ever because I didn't even know what one was, do you know what I mean? And anybody that's watching this that, 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 that's a musician, in particular an, an acoustic musician, you know, they'll know that that's virtually suicide. I was getting on stage and, you know, my guitar was going out of tune after the fourth song and that was it. 
Do you know what I mean? And and I was I was fortunate enough that every every gig that I went to, you know, there was always people that loved my voice. So my voice could tend to carry the out of tune guitar for quite a while. You know, some of the tunes weren't great. You know, I was get I was getting myself a bit nervous. And how I cope with nerves, and anybody that's seen us live will know this as well. Don't tend to do this anymore because it looks incredibly unprofessional. But I would just swear, man. So I would just I would just start like every single sentence was just another swear word. And I, I remember I'd done a gig and I was a booking agent who came out to watch us and he didn't sign us. And I think this is the reason, man. I, I, I remember, so I didn't change my strings, right, for this gig. Didn't change my strings. I didn't even make sure my guitar was in tune. I was getting pissed and going on stage. I think, my, I think it might have actually been in Bristol. Anyway, I got on stage and I snapped the string in my second song and I brought the spare acoustic on and that was out of tune to the point of you can't play it so I put that back and I remember um, the support act they were a band and the lead singer the support act had an acoustic guitar and I'll always be grateful to him for this because he pulled me right out of the shit uh, Teddy's called and he came on stage with a guitar and he handed us the guitar and it was as though the only way I can imagine it is like do you know your hand and it's like one warrior hands a sword to another one do you know what I mean that was all it was it was like I've snapped my sword and he's lending me his to fight this battle of fucking winning people's ball. and for that 10 minutes of you know snapping the guitar string then getting the other guitar plugging the guitar in oh actually this one's not in tune putting it off getting another one for them 10 minutes I was just swearing at people like I, and, I, and, and I was no and I say that so lightly but looking back, it was fucking disgusting, man. Like, I was just swearing at people. I was just, I was trying to play like the class clown. Do you know what I mean? And it doesn't work, man. And it doesn't work. So like gigs like that, you know, I came off that tour and I looked back at myself and I thought, right, okay, what do I need to prove here? The swearing needs to calm down. Okay, it's calming down on, you know, a marginal, you know, kind of way. Every every gig, it's definitely not <laughs> being. I thought, right, okay, I need I, I need a tuning pedal, hundred percent. I need, I need to start getting decent guitar strings. I need to make sure that my spare guitar is in tune and ready to you know play in case anything goes wrong. So it was just so it 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 really is just learning your craft and just trying to improve on yourself, man. And I think I'm definitely a more polished artist now than I was then. It just goes down to learning, man. I think like if I look back on myself on that tour, yeah, some of the gigs were awful. And I mean awful. I just signed a record deal. So I was getting on stage thinking I was the dog's bollocks and I just were, I, I, I just wasn't. But then at the same time, I have got to give myself a little bit of credit and cut myself some slack. Do you know what I mean? I'd done 12 gigs in social clubs and then I took on this big, massive tour, you know, straight at me stride and I just went and done, you know, 20 gigs off the bounce. And it was just me and my manager were just driving gig to gig. And I've got a feel for him as well, man, because like driving from Newcastle to Cardiff, you know, okay, it's a long drive, man. It's a long drive. So it's like, and, and, and we benefited from so much, and I apologise that I'm rambling for this question, but it's it's so it's so crucial that people know that, like, you know, the only way that you're going to improve as a musician is by doing it. Do you know what I mean? You're not going to improve in your bedroom. You can sit and write a million songs and sing to your mum and dad and your, your 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 dog and your cat or whatever, but you're not going to improve until you actually get on a stage. You know, I think it's when you know who you really are as a musician. Do you know what I mean? Which I'm I'm beginning to do now. I'm beginning to do. I'm still not. I'm 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 still not there yet. You know, that's not to say that in six months' time I'll be doing another conversation and I'll be saying, you know, I'm 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 there now. Do you know what I mean? But we'll just have to wait and see, man. Some very wise words on a young man there. I'm quite impressed. Also, mate, just having the balls and getting out there and doing it as well. You've got to take those opportunities. You've probably mentioned before. They might not come along again. So if you don't take it, they might pass you by. Yeah, but that's it. That's it. 
Mate, this amazing story that we're walking through at the moment. So when I was looking, researching this and looking back at like what you'd released and when, I felt for you, man, in March, your single came out, it's going to get better. You headlined the Clooney, your first headline show, and then you went on tour with the Ks and then that fucking COVID kicked in. <laughs> yeah, man. And I know that anybody that knows about me will know, you know, I have worked hard. Of course I have. You know, nobody's wrote them songs for us. I know I'm a good songwriter. I know I'm a good lyricist. But things have gone for us. Do you know what I mean? There's no doubt about that. You know, no no Gallagher getting back in touch on an email saying that he's got something, putting us in contact with a major record label, signing a fucking record deal at the age of 18 after doing, you know, 10 gigs. Things have gone my way. There's no doubt about that. And I'll be the first to admit that I've had a bit of luck. I've now got absolutely fucking no luck because we've done, it's going to get better as came out. We've done that March gig and like 350 people. It's amazing absolutely amazing and then we've done the case gig and I remember I've got to mention this because there's a lad from the Rats a band called the Rats called Joe yeah I know them. yeah 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 it was it and I remember doing the gig it was at the Liverpool Arts Club mate right which is fucking it was a really 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 nice place and this tour was the week after the Cheltenham races as well so I was hung over for the first three fucking gigs and I was only four gigs on the tour anyway so but so so Liverpool was like the shining light do you know what I mean it was the first gig that I got on stage and I felt you know 100% and I smashed that gig, man. I fucking smashed that gig. I was brilliant. I, like, without tooting my own horn, I was fucking brilliant. Anyway, <laughs> so done the gig. I remember coming off and I was like, loads of people that were sold out and the Ks came on stage and they were doing their set. And I went and spoke to Joe because he's a good mate of mine. Got a lot of time for them, lads. And Joe came over and he was the first person that went like that and gave us an elbow. Do you know what I mean? And I went over and I was like, oh, Joe, yeah, I read. And I went and put my hand in. Whoa, 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 whoa. One of them now, and I was kind of thinking, is this a fucking scouse thing? Or was it, has he lost his mind? Do you know what I mean? Because I thought, I've never seen this. And he was going, no, nah, no. Nah. And, and all he was saying, like, was going, it's fucking coming, la. It's fucking coming. And I was going, what's going on? He's going, the fucking COVID. The COVID's coming, la. And I was going, fucking shut up, man. You're a lunatic. And um, lo and behold, two days later, fucking all the gigs are cancelled. And I remember sending him a text and I was like, you jammy scouse bastard. You fucking, you fucking seen it coming. If, if, if I'd have went to the betting shop and put some bets on that, I would have been fucking swimming in it now. But yeah, he, he, he's seen it all. He's seen it all. And then obviously you know yourself, man. It's like, I think everybody's in the same boat now. It's been particularly hard for musicians, but you can't single anybody out other than, you know, frontline staff. I think if you're going to put, you know, the 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 problems I've had because of COVID, you know, the festivals have been cancelled. It's pushed back things like release dates. You know, I maybe he's not making as much money as I'd want to. You know, what I mean, you compare that to people, you know, working for the NHS or working in hospitals or you know, working on the front line, man, and it's just fucking minimal. It's absolutely minimal. So I think everybody's got to be grateful. I think everybody's got to be grateful that they're still here and they're still kicking, man. I think everybody's got to stay safe. Am I just going to try and ride it out, man? But I think in, in England now, it's 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 particularly bad. I think I seen something the other day and it was like, we've got the worst city by city uh, rate in the whole of the world, which is just fucking crazy. But we'll just have to see what happens. I know that I read something the other day. I think there's something like six and a half percent of 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 England have had the first vaccine now. So slowly but surely, it, it's going to get better. Oh fucking! Hell. I didn't even mean. I didn't even mean to do that. But <laughs> slowly but surely, it's going to get better. The tune just went through my head there. Yeah. <laughs> Do you reckon the UK government are doing enough at the moment for, you, for people like yourself and, and musicians and venues, probably more importantly, the venues? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely not. You know, I think it's such a shame. I remember doing this the other day. 
the other day. I remember, sorry, I remember watching the interview that I'd done at the uh, Gosforth Park, uh, which was the socially distanced gigs, which were amazing, by the way. Big, it was like a stadium atmosphere. Everyone was in pods. It was a little bit weird, but it was great. And I remember doing an interview, and I was asked that very question, actually. And I, and I remember saying, you know, at the time, and I don't know if anything's changed, but at the time, musicians couldn't get furloughed. Do you know what I mean? There was just no way in hell of, of me getting a furlough scheme. Do you know what I mean? And I remember, I remember speaking to a couple of my mates who were in bands and a couple of people that, you know, work in studios and stuff. And I remember them telling us like openly and honestly that we're having to sell like guitars and, you know, like th- things like, you know, studio wear and computers and they just fucking things that like, you know, amps and stuff like, like just stuff that every musician needs. Do you know what I mean? We're having to sell just to get by. And I kind of thought, what a fucking disgrace this fucking country is. You've got people who are in the entertainment is- in- industry who, by the way, fucking, you know, politicians will, will call upon eventually. Do you know what I mean? This, they, they, There's no doubt about it. This government, once this comes up, you know, the only way that this country is going to make some money back is by putting on things like gigs. That's the only way because it's going to be. So I know, for instance, I've got three NHS gigs uh, this year coming, and all those gigs, you know, they're non, they're non payable for the artists. You know, I think you might get your travel paid or whatever. You do the gigs for free. All the money raised go to the NHS. Do you know what I mean? So they'll call upon me when they fucking want something. Do you know what I mean? But they won't give an offer when we need it. Do you know what I mean? So it's it's just it's an absolute farce, and it's the same with the venues, man. Like the only way that venues are staying open is down to people like yourself and down to myself. Do you know what I mean? And that's not singling us two out as the fucking heroes or anything, but I mean, people like us is in artists doing songs and, you know, all the money that they make from it goes to a certain venue or, you know, you know, uh, live streamed gigs, you know, gun, go, go fund me pages, stuff like that. And you kind of say that that's right. Do you know what I mean? You kind of say that people should lose jobs because the government have royally fucked up. Do you know what I mean? You kind of say that because, like I've just said, as soon as the table's turned, you know what I mean? And, the, you know, the big bad wolf's out the room and, you know, everyone's fine. You know, it'll be right, okay, we're calling for, you know, 400 musicians to put on a, a three-day weekend, a gig for free in aid of the NHS. We're going to raise some money back. Do you know what I mean? How can you expect musicians to do that if they've just sold fucking six guitars and three amps and four computers and, you know, their wife? Do you know what I mean? It's like fucking, how, 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 how can you expect musicians to do that? after they've had to sell all their things just to get by in a situation that fucking hasn't been caused by them. So to answer your question, yes, I haven't done it. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned the rats. There's a few others around at the moment from the UK. Bands like the Raytons, the Claws, the Snuts. You've mentioned the Ks before. You've got uh, Jamie Pollock from Vida. But yeah, it seems like it's like an exciting time for that type of music. Yeah, man, I agree. I agree. I think um, in first and foremost, I I mean, I've got a lot of time for the kids and it was great to get on that tour with them. And Jamie in particular, I know that you mentioned him. Jamie's fucking brilliant, man. I loved Vida. We, we actually had a gig booked in King Tut's. Um, I think it was King Tut's. We we're going to do like a mini Scottish tour that Vida were going to headline and I was going to be their main support. It was going to be fucking great. And then obviously the band broke up, but he's a good lad. Uh, yeah, you're right, man. That is that. There's so many, you know, good artists and good bands and good acts coming out now. It's such a shame that we're in a position that we're in when we've got the music that's been created, do you know what I mean? Because that music should be shared now. And obviously, unfortunately, nobody can come out and see these great artists, such as myself. Um, so many different sounds going on, do you know what I mean? Like, you listen to the Ks, and you listen to the Snuts, and you listen to Rats, and you think, do you know what, yeah, that's great. Particularly people like Rats and Band Called The Fiends as well, they're great. And, you know, and they're really carrying that indie sound, do you know what I mean? 
and then you go and watch the Kays, and I think they're a little bit. You know, there's definitely a lot more sort of guitar solos and stuff going on with them. So I'd I'd I'd, I'd argue that they, you know, their their sounding's a little bit more down that like sort of the jam route. I want to say, do you know what I mean? And that's great. And then I'm sort of I don't class myself as an indie artist. Do you know what I mean? So I think it's great that we've got, and I'm friends with all these bands. Do you know what I mean? So it's so good that we've got, and there is a bit of a friendship circle going around. Do you know what I mean? Which is good. In 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 none of us kind of make the same music. Do you know what I mean? So it's like it's respecting everybody's you know, art. Do you know what I mean? It's 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 it's, it's quite it's, it's quite a hard one to explain. Don't really know where I'm going with it, but it's like. We've got all these artists coming out and they're all making different music. I think that's the point that I'm trying to get across. You know, no two bands are the same. You know, no 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 two artists are the are the same, which is great which is great because I know I'm I'm doing festivals with these guys this year if they go ahead. And you know, and it's it's brilliant that we're gonna be, you know, sharing a stage. In one minute you've got an act coming on that, you know, they're they're an out and out indie band. And then the next act that comes on, you know, is a folk singer. And then the next act that you've got coming on, you know, is a heavy rock and roll band. You know, it's great, man. It's good. So it, it's good that we're all in this kind of tight little bubble together. But none of us are making the same music, man. It's really good. It's really good. But I've seen your gig next year for, in March. At the, uh, is, it the, is it called The Boiler Shop, I think? And you had The Fiends and Jamie Pollock on with you as well. Mate, I can see that little bubble of people that you're talking about. You're all playing festivals. You're all going out. You can start getting some great shows together, like you, you were putting together in March. Yeah, exactly. And it, and it's great because, you know, when I played, I think everybody sounds a bit more developed now. And I don't know whether it's because, you know, we've had 2020 of just sort of nothingness. Do you know what I mean? So I think everybody's had time to go back and work on their craft and all that kind of stuff. But like when I played the Clooney, the Rats supported us. But because I was doing it acoustic, they were doing it acoustic. Do you know what I mean? So it was literally just Joe with a guitar. And you could argue that we're both doing the same kind of sound. Do you know what I mean? He was like doing the acoustic thing and then I was doing the acoustic thing. There was nothing new. Whereas, you know, when I do the sort of boiler shop gig, you know, we've got, I think it's Jamie Pollock on first who will be doing an acoustic set. So it's, you know, just like the singer-songwriter kind of thing. And then you've got the fiends on that are very indie. And then you've got me on. And my bands, you know, my band's not very indie at all. Do you know what I mean? We've got quite, a, um, you know, since I've picked up that electric guitar, you know, the songs are fitting in that kind of, and I don't want to jinx myself here, but they're, they're sounding quite, I don't want to say stadium rock, but they're definitely sounding, um, you know, there's something, there's something quite special about, about the lyrics mixing with, with the melody. Do you know what I mean? There's nothing, there's nothing too indie about it. Do you know what I mean? There's not a lot of, you know, chorusy guitar solos or anything like that. You know, it it seems quite it seems quite heavy. So it's going to be good that gig because we've got three different genres of music, and we've got three different great acts. But it's just the same everything. Like I can't wait I can't wait to go out and see the Rats again because they're great. I've actually got a great story about them, but we'll get onto that later. Hey, hey, what was that? You can't tease me like that, mate. So, uh, yeah, I've I've got it. <laughs> Basically, one thing led to another. I didn't sleep with them, by the way, before fucking... I, I, I understand that started a little bit more. One, one thing led to another, and I woke up with the whole band in my bed. No, um, I was doing a thing for Scots. So were they it, on, on the same day. And they're fucking great. I love them, lads. And I got the call that I was doing Soccer AM the next day. So it was great. But because of the cold COVID thing, it had to be pre-recorded. So their ex-drummer, Harry, you know, he works as like their sort of videographer now. He was like, right, well, why don't you come to the Rats rehearsal room and we'll sit and we'll, um, you know, sort of do this song and we'll record it and we'll get it sent up for Soccer M for you. And I was like, right, yeah, brilliant. So we'd done the song, finished it, and I had a couple hours to kill. 
And I don't know if you want to put this in or not, but we, I, I for one got fucking stoned off my face. Do you know what I mean? To the point where I was sitting in a chair, just like, ugh, you know, just totally fucking dotted. And they're fucking brilliant under that kind of stuff, right? Like fucking, I've never seen somebody function so well. When I was a kid and I used to go out and smoke dope or whatever, you know, I'd, I'd, I, I, there was times when I'd just like, you know, people would be talking to us and I, I, I was always the kid sat in the, you know, the big long park. I sat on the corner of this chair, just, ugh, you know, just in a world of my own. <laughs> and while thinking with the band, while like having a bit of a jam and stuff, and I put my capo down off my guitar, right? And, I, and, and this story might not be funny to anybody else, but for me, it just fucking has me in stitches all the time. So I've put this capo down on the chair and being that stoned that I was, 10 minutes later when I've jumped up, I've lost the capo. Like, it's just gone. That's it. It's gone. I went, I, I, I literally, all I said was a couple of words. I just went, oh, lads, I've lost my capo. And within 30 seconds, everybody was on their feet. And I've got, I've got to take a step back from this sometimes and just think, what the fuck was I doing? Like me, the rats, and my manager were walking around this, and he wasn't stoned, by the way, but while walking around this rehearsal room, eyes fixed to the floor, not saying a fucking word to each other for 25 minutes, right? Not saying a fucking word, just walking around in circles, right? Well, like, it was like, it was like a moving train, right? We were just all walking around like this, eyes fixed to the floor and then every so often one of us would let out a little giggle and that was it <laughs> and about 25 minutes later about 25 minutes later I went listen I'm fucking tripping now I've got to go home and I just left and never got the couple and I got a photo off Joe about three weeks later and it was it was I've just found the couple it was on the amp or something like that but it just makes it crease all the time that we've obviously walked around this fucking rehearsal room for 25 minutes you know just in on another planet just you know, looking for this couple that you know, and I, and I mean, I'm, I, I haven't sort of smoked green in, in in ages. I'm not. I don't tend to be a big smoker that kind of stuff. So I got myself quite paranoid, and I was kind of starting to think. By the finish, I was thinking, did I even have a couple yet? <laughs> yeah. Did I even bring a couple? <laughs> and then, you know, like your mind like starts just talking to you. And I was kind, of, and then I was kind, of, and I was, like, what even is a couple? And I was like, how do you spell couple? Was it was it, is it a K or is it a C? And then it was like, oh no, I know what I'm doing again. And then I'm looking at the floor, and then it's, what am I looking for? And it, oh, and, it, and you draw I me mean? to the point of right. Let's just fucking go home now. And I remember falling asleep in the car on the way home and waking up and like just being like, what <laughs> where's the, the cabo? Where's the cabo? But it, 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 like your mind does just talk. You've done it, and it was like, what even is a cabo? Like by the finish, I was like, did I even do I even have a cabo? And I was like, do I even play the guitar? Do you know what I mean? Didn't know where I was. It's good though. It's good fun. Oh mate, that got me. It was good fun. <laughs> um, right, mate. Where where where, where, where are we? <laughs> um, so on that little journey, we're talking about that two to three years. I'm going to get onto the knoll bit. When I was thinking about this, about how to bring it up and talk about it, what I love about this, there's so many different roads that lead to this one destination of eventually working with Noel Gallagher. So you mentioned you met your manager ages ago. You met him after two gigs. He signed you up. But your manager met Noel ages ago as well, didn't he? He was on a different road to this destination. Yeah, man, that's right. Uh, he, he, so, so Lee lived in London. We're going to have to quote him here as London Lee, is that's what everyone used to call him. Fuck knows why. He worked for British Airlines. Noel, in a way, just came through the terminal one afternoon. I don't know whether I'd been flying to or flying back from or whatever. But anyway, the, he, so, so he's seen them and I think he was speaking to them and he gave 
maybe he's give that to our manager, he's called and said, listen, if you need any help with flights, you know, I, I, I can help you. A couple of weeks later, to my understanding, uh, one of Noel's, Noel's guitars went missing on a flight in the wrong sort of being and said, listen, we've lost one of Noel's guitars on a flight to wherever. And it came down to Lee to find the guitar. So we found the guitar. He sent it off first class to whatever country they were playing at. And as a return, Noel gave Lee a couple of backstage passes or something like that. Yeah, and they met each other and it was kind of, oh, thanks for finding me guitar. And to my understanding, that's where the relationship started. And then I'm fairly sure I, a friendship grew from that point. But I mean, it wasn't just like a stroke of luck, do you know what I mean? And I don't think this gets said enough, do you know? I think my my manager in particular has left, or lived, sorry, you know, great musical life to the point of his, his good friends were Coiny, who was Kasabian's manager, do you know what I mean? He's been friends with Gordon Smart for a while, who was at Radio X. So he was in and around these amazing people for a long time. But yeah, that contact and that connection just built with Noel over a couple of years or a couple of months to what I believe, to the point where he had a band a couple of years ago called The Smoking Barrels. I'm not too sure if you've heard of them, but uh, they're, they're not really a thing anymore. And, and funny enough, Lee used... Um, you know the same sort of thing. He sent Noel an email with a with a demo from the Smoking Barrels, in a, and there's a quote somewhere online. If anyone wants to look for it, um, which is what Noel had to say about them, I think he said that they're very Oasis and very Kasabian. Um, and Noel actually got them to support uh, him on his on his tour at the at the arena in Newcastle. So, you know, he's he's I, I know that he's helped out Lee in the past, and um, and I'm just grateful enough that he that he offered his hand again to help him and to help me this time. I think Lee would like to think that, you know, they've had this relationship building for a couple of years and I, and, and I know that Noel's there if I'm ever, you know, really struggling with something. And for example, my amp blew a little while ago and I didn't really know why it had blown. Do you know what I mean? I'm not much of an amp connoisseur, if that's a real thing. But I sent Noel a message and I was like, listen, mate, this is the noise that my amp's making. Do you have any idea what's wrong with it? And he sort of advised us, do you know what I mean? He's a great person to have in your corner and, He's, he's been absolutely amazing with me and as I see in every interview do you know what I mean I, I own everything that I'm doing now do you know what I mean I wouldn't be in this position that I'm in now if it wasn't for him you know believing in us and you know giving us that little bit of you know just motivation to go and push myself and all that kind of stuff because you know my songwriting's improved my singing's improved my guitar playing's improved just from here and back from him do you know what I mean sort of let alone being in a studio with him but he's a, he's, he's a real gent man and he's a fucking top top bloke and he is hands down the most professional man I've ever met in my life easily so your manager was at London Lee you've got to be in a good position with Noel otherwise he wouldn't be sending on your tunes would he I am so fucking pleased you've just said that right you fuck the interview now just forget about the interview <laughs> as soon as this goes out I need that clip right you're going to have to just send me that clip of calling him London Lee I'm fucking belter anyway carry on yeah <laughs> Obviously, he felt comfortable enough with Noel to send it on to him. So he emailed Noel, right? How did Noel come back? And then what was the time difference between getting that email and being in the studio? So we got our first email back from Noel before I'd even been on the Bang Bang Romeo tour. Do you know what I mean? I don't know the exact time that we got it, but it was definitely, it was when I was on like gig number four. Do you know what I mean? So we're talking early 2019 is when, is, is when we got the first email. And all it was, late. Lee sent him a, a, a video of me playing uh, Waiting for the Rain. I said, what do you think of this? And, and Noel, I remember Noel sent him back saying, it's actually not that bad. Does he have anything else? And then my manager sent him, because I mean, I, I I didn't have any demos done. And one of my mates, uh, you know, bailed us out the ship really. He was doing an engineering course at his college. And he had a bit of a home studio. And I remember going around to his with a guitar and just sitting in front of the microphone. And he mixed four really average demos 
you know, which then got sent to Noel. So I think he was under quite a bit of pressure as well. And then Noel got back in touch with them, and he it was um it was it was a brilliant quote. It was something like he's 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 definitely got something. He can sing, he can play the guitar. Oh, no, he's 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 definitely got something. He can play the guitar. Great natural voice. What's the catch? Is he a bell end? <laughs> and I thought that's fucking brilliant. Yeah. That's fucking great. And it just grew from there, man. We 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 sent a couple of demos back and forward, and then and then he said that he knew somebody who 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 may who may be interested in this sort of project, and that man was 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 Ted Cockle, another man that you know I owe an awful lot to. So he was responsible for signing Lewis Capaldi. Uh, he signed Jake Bug. He also signed Amy Winehouse. For fuck. Um, you know he's a big name in the in the music industry, and he's a top top bloke as well, man. I've got I've I've got a lot a lot of time for him. He's a really really nice bloke. So yeah, so we went down and met him, and you know, thanks to Noel's Noel's recommendation, it definitely aided in in us getting the deal that we was sort of subsequently got. And then two weeks later, I went on tour. Do you know what I mean? So it was quite, it was a really really quick turnaround because it's it's such a funny thing because you know you you you, you get these messages from someone like Noel, and then you're going into a major record label, you know, and you're sitting in offices with important, I mean, important people. And 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 you kind of do start to think, fuck, am, am I just a chancer? You know, I've played like six gigs, and obviously going on that tour, and I was just some of the gigs I was dreadful. Do you know what I mean? So it's just, it's crazy, man. It's 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 crazy. Like if you sit down and you think about it, and you talk to people like yourself, and you know, and and it gives me time to reflect on the mental three years that I've had. It's like, it's crazy. But I, there's absolutely nothing that I do differently so far. Do you know what I mean? Every every bad gig. Every time I've been on stage and I've swore too much, every time I've kicked off, every time I've drank too much, do you know what I mean? It's 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 brought us to the artist that I am now, which you know I'm 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 ultimately very happy with. So long may it continue. Mate, a couple of questions about in the studio, and I've got to be careful not to fanboy here myself on Noel Gallagher and quiz you on every single last bit of it. But when you get in the studio, does he say to you, right, I've got a version of the song, or does he say, right, up you get, get up there and sing it your best you can? Um oh, that's a very good question. Okay, so the original Where's My Family Gone? And there's a video on, on YouTube of me playing it acoustically and, and I sing it then how I wrote it. And I had the intention of going into the studio and playing it like that and it was going to be full band on it. I always wanted a full band, but it was going to be that kind of melodic slow song. And no one went, why don't we try and make it upbeat? And when somebody says that, it was, you know, it kind of frightens us a bit because not a lot of my songs are upbeat or they particularly weren't at that point. So what he done was he just, he upped the click or the BPM of the sort of metronome and I was playing along to that, and you know, it gradually got quicker. So the way I work is I sing while I play the guitar. So I've got the click in one ear, I've got my vocal in the other, and I'm singing and playing the guitar. So, you know, some people might find that a little bit harder, but I get the best out of my voice when I'm singing with the guitar, do you know what I mean? So that's the way that we've done it. And this is the moment that I'll take to me grave. I remember getting back in the room, and Noel went, okay, teach us the chords of the song. <laughs> Not necessarily teaches the chords. I, mean, I know that he knows the chords, but so it shows the chords of the song, you know, show, sort of shows the arrangement. Am I going to get in there and I'm going to play the guitar and you're going to stand beside us and sing it? And there's a photo on my Instagram for anybody that wants to go have a look. And it's Noel sitting on the stool with the headphones in and he's sitting strumming, uh, where's my family gone? And I'm stood beside him, you know, looking at my manager going, what the fuck? Singing Where's My Family Gone? And it was just, there's an instrumental break in the song. And I remember, because when Noel was playing the guitar, you know, it was just head down. He was so focused. So he couldn't really see what I was doing. He could virtually just just sort of hear us. I remember when the instrumental break came on, I just turned and I was just like staring at him as he was doing these chords. And I was just thinking, fucking hell, I am a blagging cunt on. I should not be here. I mean, we didn't use that version. It sounded a bit, sounded a bit too forced, to be honest. It definitely sounded more real with me playing the guitar. 
but yeah, that's definitely a moment that stands out when I was in the studio, like 100%. Mate, that's outstanding. I think back to pictures where you, you see Noel with the headphones in, sitting in Abbey Road, and you're part of that, sitting next to Noel Gallagher singing your song, or he's playing your song. That's, that's brilliant. Crazy, man. Absolutely crazy. So I know he played bass, and he played a lead guitar in there as well. I've heard a lot of your interviews, mate, and obviously a lot of people compare it to Chasing Yesterday and stuff like that as well. And I went back and had a listen, and I get that. I get it. It's like Riverman, you know, that, that type of sound in there as well, or the right stuff, something like that. I really hear it. What the question I had, though, was... When Noel starts playing the bass or, or puts in that lead solo, does that shit just drop out of him or is he at it for a while? Hmm. The bass, I think after about two and a half hours, we had the bass done because it's quite a groovy bass well, do you know what I mean? Whenever I'm sort of doing demos and stuff in the house, you know, I can play bass to an extent. So whenever I'm putting bass lines on, you know, if it's a bass groove, it's kind of what I'm going to call it. So kind of what Noel put on the side of do, 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 do you know what I mean? So it's something, it's something to carry the song. You know, I think that tends to take longer than just going with the notes of the song. Do you know what I mean? So if you're playing a G on the guitar, you play a G on the bass or whatever. So he'd done that really quickly, to be fair. And he had a great bass as well as a photo. Me, me manager's got a photo with the bass and it's got a Man City sticker on. So yeah, brilliant. The bass didn't take long. The guitar solo, we had a couple of ideas for the guitar solo. We did get a version of it in the studio while we were there. And I've got the original mix of that. That's only three people in the world that have got that original mix or maybe it's four uh noel's one of them he's might have been it actually i know that noel got one i got one my manager got one and so did the engineer and that's got a different guitar solo on to the record so that was a little bit of back and forth with that we're, we got a group chat made when we left the studio uh noel noel made a group chat and he said listen i'm going to redo the guitar solo and i think it was about a week later i think he was in the studio doing some of his songs and he just done the guitar solo that we're here now so I think that one took a little bit longer. I think he had the part, he just wasn't keen on the performance of it. That was a little bit of feedback at the end of it, which I, I liked, but I suppose for that commercial point of view, you don't really want like a live sound, do you? Do you know what I mean? You, you, you want a more polished and, yeah, I suppose you want a bit more of a polished sound for a commercial song. But, I mean, everything else fell into place. He was so quick with other stuff, do you know what I mean? I think... I think you've got to have that sort of instinct in the studio, and I think it would be impossible not to have that, you know, being in the you know, the time that he was in Oasis and the amount of studios that he's been in where, you know, he'd listen to the song once or twice and he'd instantly come up with ideas. Do you know what I mean? But I suppose any kind of musician can't, I mean, listen, there's no way that I can do that to the level of Noel Gallagher. But, you know, I think when you're listening to a song in a studio and you're in that environment, I think ideas tend to come to you a little bit quicker than normal anyway, but his ideas were particularly quick. You've mentioned, sorry, before that you were in there for about five days or so. So obviously you started off with this acoustic track you're layering on bass, you're layering on drums, keys, got the high flying birds doing that with you. Describe that feeling when you start hearing it all come together and you hear that full production sound. Because it's a big sound on that song. It's amazing. Yeah, man. It it it, it totally blew me away. I was in I was in that studio, uh, obviously to make a great song and stuff, but I was in there to impress Noel, do you know what I mean? And I think I'd done that to the best of me, to the best of my ability at that time, you know. I couldn't play the electric guitar very well at all I could do chords I couldn't riff or anything like that you know I'm better at that kind of stuff now I couldn't play the bass at the time I couldn't play piano I couldn't play keys which I you know I can do a bit now I couldn't play drums so the things that I could do you know the guitar the singing the songwriting you know I was in there to try and show Noel sort of what I had the song for me you know that was just an added bonus do you know what I mean first and foremost I was going to show Noel Gallagher that he hadn't wasted his time by sort of trying to get me to where I am Hearing the song come together more and more, it was it was it was a special thing, man. But you're always, and it's a funny thing because it came out under the label. So because it came out under AMI, and we knew that it was going to come out under the major label. Do you know what I mean? There was that element of pressure about it. 
there was always kind of sometimes you would have to take a step back while doing something that would be brilliant for what to listen to but then I was kind of thinking okay well is the label going to like this and you know and you're allowed to be arrogant and I hear so many artists that do it too early in their career by saying you know I don't care what a label wants you know I'm I'm just going to do this because this is my music and that's how it sounds and that's brilliant you know you fuck, if you want to do that do it but you're not going to have a long career out of it you know what I mean the best thing I could the best thing I can do at this point in my career is everything that I write and everything that I record and everything that I, I put out needs to be you know first of all I do need to like the song of course I do but it needs to be perceived well by the label because ultimately they're the ones that pay your wages do you know what I mean after you get a number one album after you get a number five album or whatever you know in in, in the top five the top ten you know then you can start to be a little bit arrogant and say well actually I'm going to do my own thing on this record because you know the label are already you know happy with what I'm doing so this one's just going to be for me so I was a little bit apprehensive with some of the things uh, you know, some things that had come out, some things that had go in, just because I wanted it to be polished for the label. And on the fourth day, on the Thursday, my A&R bloke came out, Nick, in, 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 and we played him the song. And as soon as he smiled, you know, I knew that we had a, I knew that we had a decent song. Because even when they come in, you know, because if he had turned round and said, listen, the label are paying for all this time, that song's not good enough. Do you know what I mean? That would have been no... I wouldn't have been in a position where I can turn around and say, oh, well, fuck you, it's going out. Do you know what I mean? They've paid for it, so I would have had to do it again. So there's always that little bit of pressure. But I'm pleased with the outcome of the song. You know, it, it's it's definitely a step above uh, production-wise than the first two. So far, it hasn't been perceived or reviewed as well, if I'm being honest, as Waiting for the Rain. You know, I don't know if that's, you know, maybe the, the, the rawness of the acoustic guitar isn't there. Do you know what I mean? It's definitely more of a polished track. Um, but everybody that's listened to it's liked it. What's lined up? 2021, bit of a shit show with the COVID. So what have you got lined up? Is there any more live streaming coming up? Still got the festivals lined up? Is there still hope there? I've had a couple of things knocked back, unfortunately. I think one of the perks of, of being involved in these festivals are you know before anybody else when they're going to get cancelled. Do you know what I mean? So I know, for instance, that you know there's a couple of gigs that I've got booked and there's a couple of festivals that I've got booked that I know because I've been told the likelihood of them going ahead is now rather small. In terms of the live stream and stuff, I kind of think that's started to die out now, to be honest. I think everyone went through a phase, didn't they, in 2020, where, you know, clothing brands were doing it. I'd done a live stream for Scott's. I'd done a live stream for Ben Sherman. We'd, we'd done a couple of things with, with a couple of other clothing brands as well. So I think it's started to die out now. I think uh, when, when when people go live on Instagram now, I think you'll be lucky if you get 100, 100 people watching. You know, unless you're like a mainstream act, you know what I mean? I think I watched, I think Jake Bug might have done one a little while ago and, and you know his 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 done fairly well, but I think that's started to die out now. You know, I've I've still got a lot of festivals booked. All the festivals that I had last year have been sort of rescheduled for this year. So we're just gonna have to see if they can go ahead, man. But we've got a couple of really big things in the pipeline that I can't say too much about, fortunately. But I've got some big tunes, man. I've got arguably some of the best tunes that I've that I've written so far coming out. But we've just got to wait for COVID to start to subside, and then we can get back in the studio because obviously it it. Every producer that I've worked with, and granted it's only two, but they've both been London-based sort of producers, you know what I mean? And the producers that I'm working with or that I'm linked to work with, I think that's a fair way to say, or I'm hoping to work with, you know, they're all based in London as well, do you know what I mean? And there's no way in hell, you know, the the the, the situation that we're in is going to allow me, a producer, session musicians, an engineer, 
you know, somebody to make us a cup of tea because I like a lot of cups of tea in the studio. You know, there's no way in hell that the the the, the current situation is going to allow that. So we're just going to have to wait and see and uh, for things to subside. You know what I mean? I think there's. And going back to the start of this interview, I think I've seen something that, you know, I think it's about 6% of, of, of England have had the first vaccine. So, you know, it, it's beginning to take a little bit of sort of momentum, do you know what I mean? Slowly but surely. My, my, my biggest aim now is just, you know, hit that. I think I'm at that level now where all my songs on Spotify need to be seen. It sort of hit that 100k mark, do you know what I mean? Minus the remix, you know what I mean? That's, that's never going to reach 100k for a while. But the minute I'm just monitoring that, monitoring the socials, monitoring the vaccines and stuff and just waiting to see when we're allowed, man. I'm just playing everything by yeah. Hopefully it's not too long, like. It's interesting you mentioned that about the live streams. I, I struggled with them, to be honest with you. I love the pre-records. I like like I love that. I think one of the great things that's come out of this is the alternative versions of songs that we've got. Did you see the K's cover pulp? Do you remember the first time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, stuff like that. And then your version of Jealous Guy, by the way, was outstanding. Good one, it? yeah. It's good, man. Yeah, that's it. I think all the pre-recorded stuff has been a great want for covers and stuff, hasn't that? In for uh, recorded songs and acoustic tracks and all that kind of stuff. But in terms of live streaming, I struggled myself. I even struggled when I was doing them. Do you know what I mean? I'm quite, I'm very good at, you know, keeping people entertained when I'm on stage. Do you know what I mean? And I mean that without the swearing now. I know that we were touched on the fact that I would just be verbally abusive to people. You know, I'm very good now when I'm on stage you know, if I if 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 I feel the room getting a little bit down and out, you know, I'm 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 good at sort of thinking on my feet and making people laugh and all that kind of stuff. And even I was struggling in the live streams to get things like that done because at the end of the day, realistically, you're sitting singing to a computer or to a phone. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it must be weird. It wasn't great, but it was it was it was something that we all had to do, man. It was weird. It was it was weird. I remember doing one, and I didn't have a phone stand or anything, so I actually had to get my last to hold it. And I remember doing like fucking, I remember doing a live stream for about an hour. And by the finish, she was like holding onto our arms like that. Like, what a cunt making his last do that. What a cunt. But, <laughs> right, mate. The theme of the show, the importance of live music. Just a few questions here just to talk about sort of like the, the role it plays and the importance it plays. What's your best live music experience as a fan? As a fan? Yeah. <laughs> it's quite funny, this actually. So I went to go watch Jake Bug, right, in Leeds last year. And I know that you've never seen me in person. You've only supported us over a sort of webcam, but I'm six foot one, right? So I'm fairly tall. And I was on Jake Bug's guest list, right? It was down to his uh, sort of booking agent. Anyway, I'm not a friend of Jake's. I'm not going to sit here and pretend I am. But because I'm six foot one, right? And because I was on the guest list, I got to go in first. And it was in the Leeds, um, it was in the Leeds Academy. And now Jake Bug's fans are predominantly, you know, young girls. Now, you know, I, I, I thought because he's been going for, you know, whatever, eight, yeah. You know where this is going. Full front of this gig was, you know, small mams, small daughters, maybe it's the odd couple, but they were short as well, right? And then there's just me, right? Stood in the fucking middle of them all, right? Six foot one, just towering over these kids. And I'm, I, I was a massive Jake Bug fan. Not so much now. I'm not really into his new stuff. I think it's a little bit too poppy, but that's regardless. And I was, I was standing underneath his fucking nose, right? Prop out underneath his nose, six foot one. And I knew every word to every song. And I was just singing my heart out for every single song. And I could keep on like sort of catching him. 
you know, after he'd sing, he was just like looking at us as though, who the fuck's that weirdo standing, towering over these kids, singing every word to my song. So I suppose that was quite special. Is there a band that you want to see that you haven't seen? Yeah, there's a few, man. I'd like to go see the Fontaines. We tried to get on their uh, support tour, but obviously the whole thing got cancelled. Because we had done with the same same promoting like thing under... Um, under uh, Metropolis and they, and, and they were doing the gig so we're going to try and get on the support but see everything got pushed aside I'd like I'd, I'd like to see them I'd done a gig with the Lathams or the Lathams whatever you want to call them in Leeds last year last last January and I regret not sticking around for their set because I finished my gig and I went straight home so I'd I'd, I'd, I'd like to watch them properly they're smashing aren't they? yeah yeah they're really good lads as well I've, I've, I've got a lot of time for them but I'm supporting them I'm supporting them at some point this year. Anyway, I've I've supported them, but I think I'm doing the odd gig. Yeah, so the Fontaines, the Lathams, hmm, who else? That's probably about it, mate. To be honest, there's not a great deal of new music that really and that really excites me at the minute. You know, people that I'd want to go see have been around for years. Do you know what I mean? Oh, I'd like to go see Elton John. Yeah, I know that that's a bit of a fucking a, a, a bit of a different answer. But I've got banging Elton John over the lockdown, like over the early periods of the lockdown. I watched uh, Rocket Man for the first time. Fucking blew me, man. Good, eh? Blew me, man. I've actually bought a big, massive, like, Donald Duck costume for my next gig. I'm just going to walk out on stage with a guitar and just a big fucking big hat. Me and my missus went to watch that and we sat down. I didn't know anything about it. And she, it, literally, credits are coming up and she leans over to me and goes, it's a musical, by the way. <laughs> and I was like, what, what do you mean it's a musical? <laughs> Yeah, that's it. That's that's the only thing that put me off to an extent. But like, I didn't know any of his life about sort of the drug abuse and all that kind of stuff. I thought it was amazing, man. It was really good to see a little bit of you know that endeavour in his life and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I don't think anybody needs to see a musical ever. Do you know what I mean? I caught him out here on the farewell Yellow Brick Road tour. It was good. It was it was really good. It was good to see him. I think he's he's at the end now, right? He's he's pretty much done though. I think. Yeah, yeah, I watched um, I, I, he he done a thing for um, like David Beckham hosted it, didn't he? And he done he done I'm still standing in his garden, and I've got to say, somebody done a video on YouTube of um, and it was like changed lyrics. Are you seeing it? Unbelievable, <laughs> fucking hilarious. One of the lines is bears around in Everton. <laughs> <laughs> I was fucking fucking myself. I mean, it's fucking brilliant, man. It's absolutely. Brilliant. It's like that uh, Peter K misheard lyrics sketch, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's like that. It's like fucking, it, it, if you look at his lips and you listen and you read the words, it actually is what he's singing. Bears around in Everton. Fucking man. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Best thing about touring? Best thing about touring? The freedom of it, man. I love it. Because I, I, I'm, I, I love, there's nothing I hate more than being stuck in the house for too long. Do you know what I mean? Do you know when you're like, you're getting up and you're doing the same thing. And I, 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 I put a tweet on the other day in the lockdown, and it was so true. The lockdown has normalised waking up at like one o'clock in the afternoon, getting in the bath, and then getting out of the bath and going back in the bed. Do you know what I mean? And watching films. And that's kind of normalised it a bit. There's nothing I love more than um, waking up in a new city every night. I think it's fucking... I, I, every morning, sorry. I think it's great. Minus the staying in hotels, because you do stay in some shitty hotels, and living out of a suitcase isn't great. But just playing to new fans, man, and like... And I love it. I, I I still love the idea of you can drive two hours away and people are talking fucking differently to you. Do you know what I mean? I love that. I, 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 I love how you can just drive two hours outside of Newcastle and get 
to wherever, Leeds or whatever, and they're speaking in a different accent. I think it's fucking great. It blows my mind all the time. So, so yeah, I suppose that's that's my favourite thing about touring. And also, like, just seeing all the nightlife, man. Because it makes you it makes you appreciate home. Do you know what I mean? If you spend loads of time, like, away... Because, so, Newcastle is a city. It's got a brilliant nightlife, man. I don't know if you've ever been to Newcastle, but, like, all the nightclubs and stuff are great, man. And everything's, like, in close-knit of each other. So, when you go, like, clubbing or whatever in fucking Huddersfield, it's like, you know, it really does make it so, sort of appreciate, um, you know, things when you get home, man. But it's good. It's good, but I'd say that's probably my favorite thing about touring just seeing new places and that one. Hey, I, I get that, mate. I've been out here for seven years and I'm originally from Jersey. And when I go back now to Jersey, I just got a whole new appreciation for the place as well. So I completely get what you're saying. Yeah, that's it, man. And it's it, 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 it's quite a special feeling when you've when we're done the Bang Bang Romeo tour, I would spend I think it was like four, four or five days away and then come back for like a day or whatever. And it was always a special feeling, man. When you drive back over the Tyne Bridge and you come back home, it's always quite. It's 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 a it's a nice feeling, man. It's a nice feeling. I just can't wait until you know the tours that I'm going on. You know, they're not Cardiff and they're not Bristol and they're not Huddersfield. You know, they're they're places like fucking you know Japan and do, do you know what I mean? And I'm like, I, I, we've got um, we're in talks with a couple of gigs uh, for America this year. So that would be amazing if I came off. We've got um, and we're in talks with a couple of places in like Australia and stuff, man. So it's like, really? yeah, yeah. I, 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 I can't wait to see the world, man. It's gonna be great. It's gonna be good fun. Mate, I can see them lapping you up out here. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. What, what what's like the, like the sort of accent boundaries like? Do you know what I mean? Like, would people? Because I mean, I, I have told me accent down to an extent. Would they have any idea what I was talking about? Yeah, talking about. <laughs> talking about. <laughs> Over here, there's shitloads of expats. So there's so many people from the UK, from Ireland. There's shitloads of them, right? The Aussies themselves, they would, they, they would get it. They, they, they would get the accent. Jerry Cinnamon was out here recently. He tore the place apart, obviously, right? There was no, no hesitation. We went to watch Jerry Cinnamon support Liam at a festival down in Berry, about a two or three hour drive from Sydney. Mate, I was stood, you know, not too, not at the front, not at the back type thing. And I looked around, I knew three people over there Every voice I could hear was Scottish or English, you know, Scousers. There was everyone there. It was just full of expats. It was was an amazing time. So I think you'll be surprised at the level of support you'll end up getting when you come out. And in Sydney, there's some outstanding venues that you can play that are like small, good. The the Enmore Theatre, as an example. You'll sell that out soon, mate. Wow, man. Yeah, I I just can't wait, man. I I just can't wait to go and play places that I've never, that I've never even, you know, had, had the privilege of, you know, sort of visiting as a holder, do you know what I mean? And I'm, I'm going to be going to these places and, 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 and doing what I love, which is, you know, you know, also my job. Do you know what I mean? It's, I'm, 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 I'm 21 years of age and I'm living a, I'm living a dream life so far, man. Just long may it last. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely going to enjoy it until it, until it fizzles out or until it's over, I suppose. <laughs> right, mate. Last question. I'm quite interested to see what you, how you're going to answer this one. Why is live music so important to us? Um, Very good question, actually. Okay, well, live music's important to me because it's, I think it's a sense of freedom, man. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, it's a sense of, you go and see a band, right? You go and see somebody that you relate to their songs and you relate to their lyrics. And I'm just hoping that there's people out there that relate to mine. And you go and see this artist and you go and sing with them and you go and, you go and jump around to their songs and it's a journey, man. Do you know what I mean? It's 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 like it's like it's an experience of of okay. One of my songs. It's a very hard question to answer, but I'm enjoying it. 
I don't get asked good questions enough. My song, Where's My Family Gone? I sang that song and I wrote that song because I meant it. Do you know what I mean? I meant every fucking word of that song. At the time of writing that song, I felt completely and utterly alone within the extent of two or three people that weren't actually my family, but their threat is such. If people listen to that song and feel the same emotion that I do and then come to the gig and sing the song while I'm fucking singing it and we're singing it together and there's a connection in the crowd, it's a special thing, man. It's a special thing and it's something that you don't get going to watch a film. It's something that you don't get going to watch a play or, you know, going and playing football. Do you know what I mean? It's that emotional connection between you and an artist or between an artist and, and, and a crowd member. Do you know what I mean? It's just, it's a magical thing and it's something that, it's something that only a select few people can do, which is why I think it's, 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 um, you know, glorified to what it is. You know what I mean? Rock and roll stars and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I think that's why musicians are worshipped in, in, in the way that they are because the best ones, you know, they're there because nobody else can do it. Do you know what I mean? So I think it's a special thing. Hopefully, hopefully, uh, when I get back to gigs, there's going to be people at my, at my gigs that, 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 that I can feel that connection with. Do you know what I mean? And that I can, you know, sing my songs too. And, you know, they're singing it back. Because I've done gigs. I've done gigs. I played a gig in Leeds and I've got a song called Four and a Half Percent, which is basically, for anybody that hasn't heard it, it's basically, a, it's, it's, it's a day in the life of an alcoholic father. So it's already set the tone for quite a moody fucking song. And there was three grown men at the front of this crowd bawling their fucking eyes out. Do you know what I mean? Like, and I mean bawling their eyes out. I'd done a song in Southampton called Son at War, which is about a young lad going in the army. And there was an ex, ex, um, like fucking soldier there crying his eyes out. Do you know what I mean? You, you, you don't get that anywhere else. That's why it's so special, and that's why it's so important that we keep venues open and we keep musicians going, and we keep the art fucking, and we keep that 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 flag flying, I suppose. But I think that's why it's so important. A good gig can change your life. I think that's how I want to end that answer. A good gig can change your life. You've just summed up why I do this podcast. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Yeah, I love that. Andrew, thank you so much, mate. I've really appreciated the time you've given me. I've loved every minute of that. I can't wait to see what happens next year, or well, this year, I should say now. Big things ahead, mate. So thanks so much for joining me today. No problem, man. Thank you very much for having us on. Okay, we're not quite done yet. We have a real treat for you, as promised at the start of the show. Let's check it out. Recorded exclusively for the Live Like You Love It podcast, this is Where's My Family Gone by Andrew Cushion.
Where's my family gone? Tell me where's my family? 